Hey, I'm Nathan, the online pastor around here, and welcome to Parkview On The Go. If you're new, maybe you found us online or your friend finally convinced you to listen, uh, you're probably wondering what we're all about. Well, here's the gist of it. No matter where you are when it comes to this faith thing, whether you've been around church for a while or you're just getting to know who Jesus is for the first time, we are here to help you take steps toward God. And not just you. If you have kids running around your house, we want to help them take steps toward God too. And one of the ways we do that every summer is by hosting Summer Jam at all of our physical locations around Chicagoland. I would describe it as Vacation Bible School meets the biggest, most fun party you could ever imagine. And if you're if you're listening right now and you're close enough to drive to a campus, we would love to have you. And if you can't make it to one of our physical locations, keep an eye out for online resources to enjoy with your family. And for more information, go to parkviewchurch.com slash summer jam. And speaking of kids, we are officially launching one Parkview Athletics, an opportunity for kids four years old, all the way up to sixth grade to learn and participate in grace filled team sports. This summer, we're starting with soccer and plan to add additional sports along the way. If you want more information about Parkview Athletics or about registering your kids, go to parkviewchurch.com athletics. As if you couldn't tell, we are a church that cares deeply about reaching the next generation. And that only happens because of your generosity and support of the ministry that God is doing through Parkview. So if you're someone who gives to the mission, thank you. If I could give you a COVID-appropriate hug right now, I would. We couldn't do anything without your support. And if you'd like to start contributing to what God is doing through Parkview, you can set that up at parkviewchurch.com give. Thanks again for being here. Enjoy the service. We're going to invite everybody to stand with us as we worship God today. Come on. Rejoice, he's won the battle for the saints. Rejoice, cause all of heaven knows your name. Rejoice, the sin is powerless today. Sing hallelujah, what a Savior. Rejoice, because he chose to make us king. Because your life has been redeemed Rejoice because he lives in you and me Sing hallelujah, what a savior It is finished, it is done Heaven's love poured out on us Separated now Rejoicing out 
Don't hit. 
turned over to you and lay it at your feet we don't want to hold on to any of it we want to know you more better than we've ever known anything that's our prayer today we thank you for your love in Jesus name we pray amen thanks for worshiping today you can go ahead and be seated Hey, welcome everybody. Good to have you guys online. We're really glad to have you with us today, as well as Homer, New Lenox, Orlin. Really glad. I just, um, I, I got a, a sermon that is so important because it's about heaven today. But I, I just got to start by saying, I wish I could adequately express my joy and gratitude for last weekend. I just don't think it's possible. It, I, I felt really uneasy about doing it. If you weren't here, we celebrated the church's 70th anniversary and my wife and I's 30th anniversary at the church. And celebrations are important and anniversaries are important, and at least to some people. I'm just not usually a look back kind of guy, okay? Kind of a look forward kind of a guy. That's what it was. But it was important for us as a church to see where God has taken us because I think that helps us to see what the future is going to be. And I got to have my family here. That was really all I wanted was just to get you guys to get a chance to meet my family because they don't ever get to be here. Most of them are doing some kind of ministry in a church somewhere else anyway. Um, and some people have commented on like, eh, your family, you know, how they turn out like that. They're amazing. I mean, how'd your girls find those guys and all that kind of stuff. And I just got to say, um, I was awesome, of course. But um, it's mostly their mom and, and really a whole legacy that was passed down to us. We live in kind of a Christian Disney bubble, I got I to gotta tell you. I mean, I, we have our own problems like everybody else, but my parents and her parents were both married for 62 years. And my parents are, are still alive, so hopefully they'll stay married and they'll make it, you know, more than that, right? And, and, and there's no divorce in our family at all. There's no alcoholism in our family. I mean, it's just kind of this, this crazy, cool legacy bubble that doesn't really have that much to do with me or, or even Denise and has a lot more to do with it takes a village sometimes, you know? And I got to say, living here for 30 years and raising our girls here for 30 years has been unbelievably 
absolutely a blessing because many of you, many of you have taught our kids in, in school or, or even in, at church or whatever in the community here. I always tried to describe it to my friends who were preaching in other places. The Catholic influence that has been on the south suburbs has been such a huge blessing because there was this there was this ability to do christian things i mean my kids had christian you know they had christmas concerts not winter concerts they had christmas concerts and they had they had christmas break and my girls were in madrigal singers and they sang songs about jesus which is what the madrigal singers would have originally done in the first place right not birds and flowers but it was about jesus's birthday and and, and i just i mean the, the the professors that they had our girls went to public school they went to mokina and uh, and then lincoln way east cuz that's still the way it was um, back in the, back in those days and uh, man i mean our choir teacher Alicia Lambert, their band director, Cliff Smith, I love you, buddy. I mean, the, the influence on them. Coach Z, um, obviously my girls didn't play uh, football, but Coach Z taught one of my daughters to drive. And, and that's, like a, that's a bigger accomplishment than, than you know, any state championship you won, Coach. And happy birthday, by the way. Uh, on keyboards today is Betsy Vandenberg. She taught my kids math. And they still haven't used anything that she taught them. Because nobody needs to know math. That's why you have an iPhone. But I just think it's really important to understand uh, my gratitude and our gratitude to you for being able to be here and be a part of Parkview and tell you how excited I am for what's going to happen in the future. Like stuff... Um, sometimes I don't even know all the things that are going on. Parkview Global has partnered together with Stadia Church Planting and CCV Church in, in Phoenix to plant a new church, and it's a new kind of church. Frederick and Nadine LeBaire are planting a church online. Um, she's from the, 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 public of, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. She's from the Congo where they need churches. So they're going to go start this church in the Congo, but they decided to go ahead and launch online. Here's their uh, Instagram site. You ought to go on and follow them. They have 175,000 Instagram followers, and they are doing many, before they ever launch a real campus, they're doing ministry online. And Parkview has helped them to be able to uh, pay for their worship uh, experience that they do online and we're helping them plant it. Go ahead and roll this video. Just imagine that you're in the, in the Democratic, in the DRC and... and I mean, everybody in Africa has cell phones, I promise you that, it doesn't matter how poor they are, and you're a young person and you've got a cell phone and you find a worship experience like that. I mean, the thing is just blowing up, and they've already got like 27 small groups started in four different countries, and we've been a part of that. And I just want to say thank you to you for that, okay? Um, and, and the second thing I'm really excited about, I don't know what it's going to be like, but um, I became friends with Mike Singletary when we had him here several years ago, and he has decided to launch a, a project to leave government out of it and let Christians and the private sector help the south and west side of Chicago. He's got a heart for the inner city, and, and so, yeah, I know. Um, so we're working together. I'm, 
I'm getting the white churches. Um, he's coming bringing sports people, and, and we're getting the black churches together, and we're going to have a big event at Soldier Field. I'm not going to tell you when because I don't want any political people to know about it yet, and it's going to be happening, and we're going to launch this big movement to work together as a church, and we can do that because of who we are and what we do. And those are just like a couple of things that I'm excited about for the future, plus the fact that we get to get hell out of here someday. So let's talk about heaven. If I'm going to talk about heaven, okay, if I'm going to talk about heaven, I have to talk about Revelation, and I need to un- help you to understand my view of Revelation, okay? If you don't understand Revelation, it's for good reason. It's a 2,000-year-old letter to churches in Asia Minor, and like all letters, it's situational and personal and contextual, okay? So, so the great fear of these churches that the Revelation was written to was Nero, a Roman emperor named Nero. If you were a Christian in Asia Minor in the first century, you would have had fear and uncertainty because Nero was a horrible person. He killed his own mom, okay? And, and, and he murdered her. And, and he put innocent Christians up on stakes, um, dipped in tar, and lit them on fire so that he could light up his parties, all right? That was Nero. So when you start reading Revelation, you've got to understand that other ancient texts referred to Nero as the beast, okay? So it should sum up a whole lot of everything else you need to know about Revelation and the mark of the beast and the number 666. I mean, people have always been fascinated by the numerology of the Bible. Back in my day, uh, I don't know why I say that because I'm still alive, but back, back in my day, I don't know, Ronald Reagan, the Democrats said Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Do you remember this? Some of you do, because his middle name was Wilson. So each one of his characters, Ronald Wilson Reagan, had six characters. He had to be the Antichrist, right? And I told you, you know, before that, it was Gorbachev with that little birthmark on his. I mean, what happens is you start reading stuff in to Scripture that was never meant to be there. 666 to the original readers would have been taken as a, a symbol. It was a symbol of evil, not a math problem. Because you don't need to know math. I've already said that, right? But you can have fun with this if you want to. You know what 664 is? The neighbor of the beast. There you go. How about, how about Philip 666? Yeah, you know, that's the gas station of the beast. 566.69, the Walmart price of the beast. 10100110. Come on, people, you know. Binary number of the binary number of the beast, exactly. 666 Fahrenheit, what is that? That's the correct temperature to cook the beast. And my favorite, 60666, do you know what that is? That's the zip code of the beast. Guess where that is? It's in Chicago. More specifically, O'Hare Airport, that is the zip code. Does that explain everything to you? Wow, now Revelation's making sense, right? Okay, I'm just, I'm just having fun with you. You've got to go back 2,000 years and understand when this letter was written that Nero was widely known as the beast. And it should also make sense to you that Nero's name translated into Hebrew has a numeric value of anyone? Bueller 666, yeah, okay. I'm not saying that, that, that we aren't supposed to look at the signs. Uh, we should. Jesus said that we should do that. But listen to me. I have a doctorate in religion. I've studied all four views of the book of Revelation. Uh, one of them is pretty wacky, but three of them are, are 
believable. I I could go one of three different ways on the book of Revelation. But if you're going to go one of those ways, you have to stay in that lane and you have to read everything that way. And you end up having to read a lot into the book of Revelation. And I don't believe we should because chapter 1 verse 3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. So you should understand Revelation as a dramatic performance and understand that these are symbols intended to impact hearers. This is what I'm going to talk about today. Revelation is a poetic book that aims to influence and and persuade the churches to respond to it. So much of what was prophesied in Daniel was already fulfilled by Alexander the Great and others that came after him. Much of what Jesus prophesied was fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. And much of Revelation was fulfilled with Nero and Domitian. I'm not saying there's not more prophecies out there that we need to look at, but if you want to get literal, it gets tricky. In chapter 6 of Revelation, all the stars fall down. And in chapter 8, all the stars go back up again. And in chapter uh, 12, a third of the stars are swept away. That should show you that Revelation is filled with word pictures that are absurd if interpreted literally, but are very deeply thoughtful and insightful when interpreted symbolically. It was meant to give us encouragement. It was meant to tell us that hell's going to be out of here someday, that, that, that it's going to be better. That said, Jesus told us to be ready. And there are a lot of signs pointing to the return of Jesus. And I hope it's soon. But let's remember that the most important part of being ready for the return of Jesus is to keep working on our mission. Jesus said there, there, were, there were ten bridesmaids going to a wedding and five of them didn't have enough oil. And five of them did. We're supposed to have our oil ready. We're supposed to be ready with the mission. And I say this because several people have asked me, do I believe there's a theological reason not to take the vaccine? And I'm going to tell you, uh, I don't think so. If if you don't want to take the vaccine, that's up to you. I did. I seriously can't fulfill my calling without it. I need people to feel safe with that around me. I need to get back to Africa. I can't go there unless I have it. I, I feel like it's a loving thing for me to do. But there are members of my own family who are not going to take it because of health reasons. That's your call. I'm just telling you, theologically, I don't see it. So if revelation is figurative more than literal, how do we know what heaven's going to be like then? I mean, are there really going to be streets of gold? Will I have a mansion or will I live in a van down by the river? I, I want to know that. What color will the carpet be? How big is my TV? I need those things. And the problem is we have a perspective. We're thinking about heaven like maybe um, the Emerald City from the Wizard of Oz, you know, when the color comes on and, and they're off to see the wizard. Or it's Disney World. Or for some of you, it might be the ivy-covered, you know, outfield of Wrigley Field, whatever your weird perception of heaven might be. But that's only because that's all we know. One day, some of the religious leaders came to Jesus and they asked him if there would be marriage in heaven. I think they were setting him up for a joke. I just really do. I, 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 you know, they're expecting Jesus to say, well, if there's marriage, can there be heaven? But, but he didn't go for it. No, he didn't. He took it seriously. And he said, basically, you don't understand Scripture. It's all going to be different. So, so, so what we do is we look at the bigger picture of what it's going to be like when hell is gone and the garden is restored. 
And I believe that God has given us glimpses of heaven and blessed us on earth, maybe so much that we don't really think about it all that often, because there is the kingdom of heaven here. It's, it's the little pink spoons from Baskin Robbins, right? We get a little pink spoon every once in a while of what heaven is going to be like. But then again, there's obviously some hell still on earth. Maybe it's not always as obvious, but there are some things that aren't right here. I mean, to me, it's like Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. It's the same show, but something just doesn't feel right. Come on, you guys, that was the best line I've had in like a month. Did you watch it? Oh. But, but I think this is why you see a big difference in people's attitude about heaven. Because if people's life is going well, they don't think about heaven. And if people's life is not going well, they do think about heaven. I mean, look at the old slave spirituals that they used to sing on the plantations, right? They were abused and they were neglected and they were in a terrible situation. So it was swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. All of their songs were about that day. When you talk to somebody who's got disabilities, that you will see a desire for heaven in them. If you're missing someone, like my wife is missing her dad and her mom wasn't that far ago either. You know, somebody who's gone, you think about heaven a lot more. And some of us have great marriages and our jobs are fulfilling and our bodies are aging, but they still work and we're getting around okay and our kids are doing okay. And we don't concern ourselves with the next life because this one's not that bad. I sum it up this way, Um, you know, there's that old beer commercial, I can't even remember what the beer was, but the commercial, you'll remember, these smelly old guys sitting around, they've been fishing all day, and they're sitting around a campfire, clicking their bottles together, saying, it just doesn't get any better than this, right? You remember that one? And sometimes we say, man, I hope it does. And sometimes we kind of agree with them. Grab a hold of that truth. It, it, It does get better than this even if it's a good day. One writer suggested this. He said, write it on a card. It does get better to this than this. Or, or make it your screensaver on your phone. It does get better than this. And stick it in your pocket so that you can pull it out when you need it. And if it, 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 you just remember that that's not the end of the story. And if you're having a really bad day, if you're really missing someone who's gone on, or, or you're feeling the pain, or, or life's just not going well, you pull that out and you say, it does get better than this. There's a day we look forward to. And he said, and hey, take your best day next year also, you know, that day when the weather is nice and your wife says tonight's going to be a good night and they finally finish all the construction on 294, right? If that day ever happens, you pull that card out and you go, it still does get better than this. So what I want to do is I want to stay on the not side of eternity like Todd started two weeks ago. He did a great job with this because I think the key to understanding heaven is to understand the things that won't be there. It'll help you grab a hold of the word pictures that are going on here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Hang on to that one. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more sea. I mean, for some of you, if you read that literally, that's kind of like a deal breaker, right? I mean, how am I going to go fishing? I, I love the water. We, we, we all have, you know, something that's just relaxing about being by the ocean or in a cabin by the lake. 
But again, you go back 2,000 years and interpret this symbolically and understand that the Apostle John was writing this on a prison island called Patmos, okay? This is a picture of what Patmos looks like. It was the original Australia, okay? They, they sent their prisoners there to be on this island. And take that into context and understand that, that this makes a whole lot more sense, right? Because what does the sea represent to John? It represents separation. The sea was a symbol of everything that he loved that was dear to him that was far away. This is why I loved last weekend more than anything else. My parents are in Fort Wayne, but they're moving to Dallas to be closer to my sister. The Harrises on the left, on the left side there are in Nashville. Becca and Andy and new baby little Augie are in Irvine, California. And Tommy and Lauren and, and Livy and Caleb are in Ventura, California, which is three hours and I have to drive through Los Angeles to get back and forth between those two places. I am separated, okay? It's not the way I want to live my life. And that doesn't, even, that doesn't even come close to thinking about my wife who's separated from her parents and the people who have gone on in front of us. And someday we all know that we're going to be together with the ones that we love. Makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? There will be no more tears. Let that sink in for just a minute, okay? No hurt, no pain, no mourning or crying or pain, he said. The old order has passed away. No reason to cry. They make a no more tears baby shampoo, but have you ever known it to work for very long? Somehow every baby I've ever bathed found a reason to cry within a couple of hours after I used that dumb shampoo. It's false advertising. It happened last weekend. Unfortunately, on this earth, there is no such thing as tear-free. Some of you have shed them this week. I wish I could hear your stories. I wish I could share in all of that. But someday we go to a tear-free heaven. One of the reasons that we will have no more tears is because there will be no more death. I'm tired of death, aren't you? I mean, I know it's just a transition. I, I get it theologically. I, I understand all that. But I'm tired of having to explain it to people in funeral homes so often. I know I'm not going to blame it on God. It's Adam and Eve that brought it in. And death is the result of sin. And it's hell. Literally hell in our earth. The Bible says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all men sinned. That's the answer. We die because we're sinners. But it's not the end. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Physically, yes. But spiritually, no. We're going to live on forever. And it's just a transition into the place where there won't be any more hell. There's an old southern gospel song that that says it well. And I, I, I loved reading it again now that I'm older than the last time I read it. It's called This Old House. This old house is getting shaky. This old house is getting old. This old house lets in the rain. This old house lets in the cold. On my knees I'm getting chilly, but I feel no fear nor pain because I see an angel peeking through that broken window pane. I ain't going to need this house no longer. Sorry, my Oklahoma's coming out, guys. 
Ain't going to need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time to fix the floor. Ain't got time to oil the hinges or to fix those window panes. Ain't going to need this house no longer. I'm getting ready to meet the saints. Some of you should hang on to those words today because you're longing for that place. But let me give you some more. No more fear, okay? Here's the symbolism again. Just watch this. He carried me away to the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It had a great high wall. That's what's important. Twelve gates, twelve angels. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod, and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and wide and high and long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits cubits thick and the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass okay are we going to be on streets of gold is it 144 cubits thick is it 12,000 stadia all of those numbers all of those numbers are perfect numbers 144 is 12 times 12 I do need to know math there it is okay Uh, that is a perfect number 12,000 was a perfect number those were symbols But if you're worried, is there going to be room in heaven for me? If you took that literally, if you want to take that literally, there will be, heaven will be, and remember there's no gravity, heaven will be 396,000 stories high, 396,000, and each story is half the size of the United States, okay? So there is room. If you'd like to come along, plenty of room. But what's the symbol in there? The walls. The symbol that's important is the walls. Is that important to us? Not as much. But 2,000 years ago, walls were all you had for protection. If you could keep out the horses and the chariots, you were safe. They didn't have to worry about an aerial attack, right? Unless they found a dragon somewhere. There there wasn't anybody that was going to fly in, so they didn't have to have a roof. They needed walls. It It was protection. And in the city of God, the symbolism is that there is absolutely no fear. That's why Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You don't have to fear. Besides, God is going to be there. Bob Russell wrote this. I love it. When I was nine years old, I began playing Little League Baseball for a team four miles from my home. Sometimes a teammate's father would drive me home after practice. He would let me off at the end of the road, and I'd walk that half mile up the dirt road to our house. If practice went long and we headed home at dusk, I'd get troubled. I didn't like walking up that spooky dirt road at night. Every rustle of a bush was a coyote. Every shadow was an axe murderer poised to attack me. I think I set a speed record for nine-year-olds running the half mile several times. So when practice was over and the adults stood around and talked, I'd get nervous. I knew that meant we were going to be later. On the ride home, I'd get really quiet. But once in a while, when I was so troubled, just before I'd be let off at the dirt road, I would spot the silhouette of my dad standing at the end of the road waiting to meet me. And instantly my troubles were over. I was relieved. I walked home with my dad without a care. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there is no night there. 
the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Okay, let me unpack some more. No temple in the city. Why is that? If you remember back to my Easter sermon, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen. The whole idea of God being with man, the whole idea of of, of what it meant for Jesus to say, it is finished, is the separation between us and God. It was access that we had to the Holy of Holies. Because the veil was ripped from top to bottom. Because Jesus took the punishment for sin from us. However, There's still hell here on earth. There's still not a perfect relationship between us and our Father. So someday it's got to all be gone and we will get to dwell with Him. We won't need a temple because He's going to already be there. And there will be no more sun. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, it just came out in Chicago. What are we talking about? Denise commented to me the other day as we were driving somewhere how good the sun felt. And and I mean, some people don't understand it, do they? Like in California and Florida, other God-forsaken places like that, they don't understand sun deprivation like we do. So we here in Illinois are more spiritual. We have a more a better understanding of Scripture because we understand, well, hell better than they do, okay? We understand what it's like to live without the sun. And like if it's 40 degrees outside and the sun is shining, we're putting on our shorts, Right? And Denise said, I wonder if God puts a little bit of himself in the sunlight. That's a really cool thought, isn't it? Don't you just feel better in the sun? But God is going to be our sun. When Moses had been with God, he came down from the mountain and he had a God burn on his face. It glowed. It's so interesting. In heaven, we don't need another source of light or beauty or warmth because it's going to be around us everywhere. And the glory of God gives us our light. And therefore, there will be no more night. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But think about it. When do you need night? I need night when I'm tired. I'm never going to be tired. And the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. That's probably the most important part. No longer will there be any hell. River of life is flowing. The curse of sin is gone. All the junk that Adam and Eve let into our world, all of Pandora's box is closed back up and thrown into the lake of fire. And sin is gone. Can you imagine a world like that? Max Lucado writes it this way. Have you done anything recently because of sin? At the very least, you've complained, you've worried, you've grumbled, you've hoarded when you should have shared You've turned away when you should have helped. You've second-guessed. You've covered up. But you won't do that in heaven. Because of sin, you've snapped at the ones you love and argued with the ones you cherish. You have felt ashamed and guilty and bitter. You have ulcers and sleepless nights and cloudy days and a pain in the neck. But you won't have those in heaven. Because of sin, the young are abused and the elderly forgotten. Because of sin, God is cursed and drugs are worshipped. Because of sin, the poor have less and the affluent want more. Because of sin, babies have no daddies and husbands have no wives. But in heaven, sin will have no power 
In fact, sin will have no presence. There will be no sin. Sin has caused a thousand heartaches and broken a million promises. Your addiction can be traced back to sin. Your mistrust can be traced back to sin. Bigotry, robbery, adultery, all because of sin. But in heaven, this will end. Can you imagine a world without sin? If so, you can imagine heaven. I just want to try to help you to understand that no matter whether life is going well or really you're really having a tough time, we want to help you with that. But I promise you, it does get better than this. There was an old preacher friend of mine. He, uh, his wife had passed away when he told this story. He said, you know, I, I miss the little things about her. I miss how after preaching a sermon, she'd take my hand and say, you're a good man, Glenn Wheeler. And he said, you know, I miss her cooking. She was a great cook. And my favorite thing, my favorite memory of her would be if we were sitting at the dinner table and dinner was over and we were cleaning up the dishes, if she said, keep your fork, Glenn, because I knew what that meant. I knew the dessert was coming. And he showed it. And she could make good desserts, Glenn said. And then he said, you know, sometimes at night when I'm home all by myself, it's as though I can hear the Lord say, keep your fork, Glenn. Best is yet to come. John could have gone on forever. He, he writes, nothing impure will ever enter it. We could, we could do the knots forever and ever and ever. But only those who are going to be there are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who ask to be there will, will be there. And I'm telling you, there's plenty of room for you. You just have to make a reservation. You just have to say yes to Jesus. And this is the testimony John wrote in a different letter. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We're going to spend some time listening to a great song. And remember why the hope of heaven is so important. It's about giving us peace in this cursed world that we live in while there's still hell here on earth. And I just want to remind you that there's more to come. I, yesterday I got an email from a friend who was saying, you know, we, we've been praying for this other friend of ours who was not doing well. And I got the email and I read the first line and it said, well, she's home. And I immediately thought, oh, she passed away. She went to heaven. But then I kept reading and I realized, oh no, she went to her house. She's better which is good. That's what we prayed for. She needs to take care of her husband. But it was quite a paradox for me. And it should be quite a paradox for you. Because even when you're home here, you're not really home. Let's pray. Lord, there are uh, so many good things about this world that we live in. And this weekend... We've had nice weather and we've had the sun and 
And many of us are going through our lives and we're blessed, like I am, and, and we don't think about heaven as much. But there are times, especially even through the last year, where hell rises up and reminds us that this is not our home. We don't want this to be our home. That's when we need this reminder to keep our fork because the best is yet to come. Lord, if there are people in here, people listening to me online who don't have you in their life, will you just help them open up their hearts to you right now and say, Jesus, I want you. I want to go home. I want to be in that place with no fear, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, with walls of protection, with no sea of separation. I want to be there with you. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Take me with you, like the thief said on the cross, and help them hear, you will be with me in paradise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There's a way back home for the wandering soul. There's a peaceful calm for the restless one. And if you're so far gone, you can't see the shore. Just lift your eyes, look to the Lord. Cause he's walking on.
you decided to take a step toward God today, that is awesome. We'd love to help you explore faith even more, and you can start that conversation with us by filling out the short Next Steps form at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. Thanks for joining us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his eyes toward you and give you his peace. See you next time.